Play-By Podcast is hosted on the Abnormal Mapping Network, which you can find at abnormalmapping.com or support through Patreon at patreon.com forward slash abnormalmapping. I was 15 years old the last time the Union tried to take back the freeholds. A fact of life, my mother told me, happens periodically. Been happening forever, shit. And we've pushed them back every time. Them and Kennett's damned commonwealth. Every time, for centuries. Like clockwork. Let's look at the state of things, folks. Our forebearers watched the solar union collapse. Saw it reborn as the ghoulish bastard thing it is now. Saw the Jovians close ranks. And even apart, they still come after us. They go out of their way to cast hell on our lives. For a mining operation that dried up centuries ago. It's 2790 goddamn three. If they really wanted their colonies back, they'd know by now it takes more than a measly little fleet of cruisers to break the Charon freeholds. So what gives? There's no profit in it for them. It doesn't track. I see it three ways. One, the gentry are a bigger bunch of incompetent pissants than even we thought, and that's rich. Two, they got a real long con going, and one day they'll send a real armada while our pants are down around our ankles, which ain't ever likely. Or three, they don't really want the Sharon freeholds folding back to them. Those moneyed bastards still have their hands around our throats. They just want to keep reminding us that they could crush us if they wanted. Anytime. Linwood Beckett, Dockmaster of Sharon Alpha. Overheard in the Dockside Bar. Welcome to Play by Podcast, an actual play podcast about storytelling through the medium of tabletop role-playing games. I'm Michael, the GM, and today I'm joined by Leon Barnes. Hello, hello. Liam Higgins. Hey-o! There Sorry, it is. that was a little much. <laughs> and Max Coe. 
Season two. Woo. Welcome. And hey, uh, here. we are finally here at the end of our very long, very recharging break. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, we're not technically here, I guess. We're scattered. <laughs> we, yeah, we're, we're in all, the moment. We're here we're, in the moment. We're, we're all recording uh, remotely from our own homes. People mm. don't need to know where we are. Undisclosed locations. Some of us are recording from our own homes, yeah. <laughs> Get out of here, you squatter. Uh-huh. Michael that's is fair. squatting. I sold out and moved to LA, mm-hmm. so that's where I am. Yeah, we got to sell out a squatter and then Max. And then I'm here. And we're playing Uncharted Worlds by Sean Gomez. Mm-hmm. Keeping or it. Least, oh, damn. I thought it was, I, I expected that Adam, Adam Coble and Sage Latour. RIP. No, no, no. no. We're, we're done thanking Adam and Sage for yeah. now. Oh, shit. I'm not, ready to them, not, I'm not ready to We've, not thank him. We have evolved. We're keeping it in the PBTA world still. PBTA. We are a PBTA gang until death. Anyway, for any first-time listeners, welcome to the program. We're ADD as hell. I'm sorry. What are we doing today, Michael? <laughs> Thank you, Max. Today, uh, like we did for our initial episode of uh, the Interdependency Shuffle season, we are going to be uh, exploring the setting, some of the themes, the, the characters of the world we're about to inhabit. This is going to act mm-hmm. as sort of a primer for the upcoming season. The film primer, so get out your uh, timelines and we're going <laughs> to yeah. jump between them. Ooh, a little uh, Shane Carruth up in here. All right. I love our our uh, niche references, fam. So let's talk about the setting a little bit, everybody. Let's. In contrast to uh, the interdependency of Shard of the last season, mm-hmm. we, we've kind of decided to go a different direction with uh, what we are going to call the territory. We, we went from a, a socialist dream to a... Uh, capitalist hellscape we're really hitting all the points this time around mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. no subtlety welcome to play by podcast no we will not stop critiquing capitalism one of the big things from uncharted worlds is they want you to paint in primary colors they want big bold statements mm-hmm. which leads us to capitalist hell world yeah are you are you listening fascist no they're probably not i don't I think they saw our Twitter like bio, and then they're like, yeah, I'm out. So as of 2793, which is the current date of this setting, the area known as the Territory, which consists of an expanse spanning across the entirety of the Sol system in the Milky Way galaxy, which you might recognize as our star system, uh, once a unified whole under a, an organization called the Solar Union, uh, the territory is now split among four terrestrial planets on its inner sphere, four colonized moons on its outer rim, and a distant conglomerate of satellite colonies on its outskirts, orbiting the remains of a former celestial body. The humanity has been spurned forward into the stars by the advancement of terraforming technology and in particular the invention of the boot drive which is the way that you jump from point to point that in means the galaxy at you don't, near light speed yeah you don't have to take a hundred years to get from mercury to pluto it, you go a lot faster than you typically would and, and it's not light speed it is near light speed and it, it i think i i clocked it out it take it would take you to get from one end of the galaxy to the other uh two weeks mm-hmm. two weeks from mercury to pluto so we're not going anywhere past pluto we're keeping it in galaxy strictly soul system mm-hmm. yeah that's what we're about here 
Otherwise, this would be a much longer series. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, we, we can't go full galactic. Yeah. Or like full like intergalactic, I guess. This ain't Star Trek, fam. No, no, no. This is something more akin to like uh, Cowboy Bebop mm-hmm. in terms of scale, at least. Mm-hmm. And uh, the governing bodies of the territory are at an apparent standstill in a centuries-long Cold War. Uh, across the territory, fleets of towering warships and battalions of mechanized troops which we'll get to, uh, mm-hmm. stand ready. Between them all, scrambling for scraps fallen among these titans are the scavengers, the smugglers, and the mercenaries. And uh, we're going to be focusing in on that angle in particular uh, with a crew of a mercenary vessel, a bunch of uh, freelance mech pilots. A scrappy crew of th- three plus. <laughs> a motley crew. <laughs> But that, that's sort of the, the galaxy in... Broad strokes. Yes, in, in the broad strokes. That is the, the, the table setting for the entire galaxy. Now, those, those governmental bodies break down into three distinct groups. Or factions, as we might want to call them. Factions, yes, exactly. Uh, there is the rectified solar union, who are the, the, the terrestrial bodies, your Earth, Mercury, Venus, Mars. Everything before the uh, asteroid belt. Right. And then uh, there are the Jovian Lunar Commonwealth, who are all, uh, just, uh, since you can't necessarily terraform and colonize gas giants, the technology hasn't come that far. They mm-hmm. opted instead to terraform the larger moons of those gas giants. Mm-hmm. And there are the Charon Freeholds, a number of large satellite colonies that orbit the remains of the planet of Pluto. What was once Pluto. Yeah, (laughs) the thing that used to be Pluto that is now like an asteroid, like just a debris field. R.I.P. Pluto. Rip to a real one. (laughs) Shout out. Pour one out for the homie. (laughs) And how do these three factions operate? There is a, a very defined social strata in the territory. You are either gentry or you are nothing. Now, the gentry are, imagine like the billionaire celebrity politician, but like it expanded out ad infinitum. Just just take the- The, the bourgeoisie, t- so to speak. T- today's concept of the bourgeoisie and j- just add hundreds of thousands of years of unfettered capitalism and growth for the sake of growth and expansion. And you're already you're you're already getting pictures, pretty much. Egotistical fashion regression to yeah, to the point, a, yeah. That like they've become so rich that their whole their like sensibilities and like sense of aesthetics have regressed to like 13th century France. <laughs> like they, they they they're aping the style of the aristocracy of the distant past. 13th century seems a long time ago. You might want to go for like 16th. So it's it's a lot of epaulets <laughs> and cavalrymen's coats and like hussar jackets. Powdered wigs. Yes. Shitty makeup. You know the Absolutely. the whole deal. Mm-hmm. We've regressed. Well, the the rich people have regressed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And beyond just like the aesthetic regression, they've also sort of consolidated the political power of the entire galaxy unto themselves. Because when you have enough money, you don't have to buy politicians anymore. You just are the politicians because you you have money. The power because you have the money, which in this hyper-capitalist system is basically just power. More or less, you fire the politician and you take the job. Yeah, Mm -hmm. you cut out the middleman. Yeah. 
and really the, 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 the wealth which uh, constitutes their power is the thing that makes them the de facto leadership in spite of it being their only qualifier. Mm-hmm. And then there's everyone else. The wage gap became a river, became a gulch, became like this horrifying void chasm. Mm-hmm. A black hole. <laughs> yeah, the wage black hole. Mm-hmm. And that is, that is the, the cultural divide between the haves and have-nots in the territory. And how do the gentry express that power? through military might in particular, through the use of anchors. Anchors are what we're calling mechs. Anchors mm-hmm. is our Gundam, is our gunman, is our Macross, titan. is our Titan, yes. We, we are gonna lean a lot heavily onto uh, the aesthetics of Titanfall this season as far as uh, the sort of frontier, rustic feel of the advanced technology. Our mechs are not people-shaped, they are mech-shaped. <laughs> they are definitely they are, mech-shaped. They're humanoid shaped, but they are yeah. But they're not. They don't have faces and shit. You yeah, know? <laughs> yeah. They they don't have a what you would normally think of as a face. They have like a little dome on like their front chassis with a bunch of like camera lenses. Mm-hmm. So unfortunately, as much as we're we're stealing from Gundam, not like Gundams. <laughs> you know, they're not like Gundams at all. They are more like Titans, and specifically more like the bulkier Titan, mm-hmm. like the like your your. Big boys. Legion. Legion is the Titan I'm thinking of. Uh, and Max, I believe you mean Big Daddy. Stop. Uh, that's a whole nother thing. We're getting but, into genetics there. But yeah, <laughs> as far as as far as the mechs are concerned, they are less like lithe and like less like they're still humanoid, but they are like wide and bulky and heavy. Only humanoid in the most vaguest sense. Right. Anchors were developed as an all-purpose force multiplier, capable of effectiveness on land, sea, and in the air, and particularly in space. In space! Uh, They phased out the old machines of war through efficiency, and normally alongside ground troops, transport vehicles, and long-distance artillery, they make up the bulk of any serious military outfit. Uh, Once the anchor was firmly entrenched in the military sector, more civilian applications like power loading and construction were applied. It's sort of a law of the first adopters type thing where like uh, Mm -hmm. a lot of human advancement is spurred by military applications. Yeah. Like wasn't it the zippers, uh, penicillin? Yeah, a lot of stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If we had paid more attention to history, you'd have more answers here, but yeah. (laughs) But that that is essentially anchors there, these, these, the... The mechanized frames by which we do violence in the territory. Yeah. And those who do the violence are, if not gentry or lower gentry, people in the gentry's employ directly, they are freelancers. Uh, mm-hmm. st- because standing militaries, you, know, you don't want to send your whole army out to do a police action or some guard duty. Bodyguarding, yeah. Bodyguarding, small-scale violent intervention. Uh, anything that the gentry doesn't want to throw their own people at, they will hire deniable assets to do. And how, how do they typically hire these folk? The freelancers are typically hired through a, a regulatory body called the Mercenary Administrative Board, which is referred to by mercenaries as Queen Mab. M-A-B. M-A-B. The board is a regulatory body acting as a go-between for freelancers and those who wish to hire them. They assess, approve, and openly post various assignments for active freelancers to offer their services. Uh, Work offered without the approval of the MAB is often 
viewed as too high a risk for all but the most desperate crews. Because you know, anything under the table, you, know, you, you lose the protection of the board who have this sort of very, very thorough retributive process for bad employers. And probably bad employees as well. Right. It, it's, it's regulatory. They, they yeah. make sure that nobody on either side of the deal is getting screwed over or will end up dead, not out of their own hand. Yeah. Not at their own risk, kind of. Yeah, yeah. They're making sure to mitigate any outside risk from the job. Yeah. It's the, it's the freelance mercenary temp agency, basically. Yeah, it, it's like, I think I, I described it to Leon at one point. It's like Uber for mech pilots. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's like a, it's a gig economy for mercenaries. Hire a grunt. Yeah, no, really. <laughs> Two of the gentry-led factions that we described earlier, the solar, the rectified solar union, the RSU, which uh, comprises Earth, Mars, Mercury, Venus. They are this reformed version of a previous uh, empirical government where they have reestablished order and decided to sort of decentralize their power among the individual gentry families. And the only reason they had to do this and, and rectify said union. The only reason, yeah, the, the reason the rectified solar union exists as it does as a, an oligarchy of landed gentry and their corporate interests is because a different group of landed gentry with corporate interests decided to break off from the initial solar union and they make up the Jovian Lunar Commonwealth. The All of the gentry families of the Jovian moons, they, they formed together under the banner of a single house, House Kennet, and they, when one of the members of House Kennet came to power in the empire, they kept the title of emperor, which the emperor is known as the aspirant. So once one of House Kennet's members became the aspirant, they didn't give up their title when they were meant to and declared themselves the ruling house of the entire union. Forever. Forever, in perpetuity. And as you might imagine, nobody else really agreed with that. So all of the non-Jovian moons went to war and all of the Jovian moons were excommunicated from the solar union and they formed their own petty kingdom, the Jovian Lunar Commonwealth, out on the outer rim of the soul system. It's kind of like what happened a lot in early Japan when one of the rulers would be like, actually, no, I want to stay in charge. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot like that. Yeah, moral, yeah. And the, to be fair, the solar union sort of operated that way as well. With the, the original solar union back in the day, the distant past of this universe, uh, the original Solar Union, which was just called the Solar Union, which was everything in the Soul System. Which existed this, about uh, 250 plus years ago. Right. Was this this huge empire that was, it was an elective empire. So you'd have your aspirant at the top and a bunch of elector gentry all throughout the system below him or her or them. Mm-hmm. And then every 15 years, the title and power of the aspirant would be passed to another of the union's gentry families. By election. Right, by election. So for the first couple of years, it was uh, on Earth. That was the, the heart and soul of the solar union. And then they decided, you know, maybe to avoid any future problems with a dissent or people feeling like they aren't being represented well enough. How about every 15 years, uh, we just give this to somebody else? Bounce it around. Yeah, so 15 years it would stay on Earth, then it would move to one of the families on Titan, one of the families on Mars, back to Earth, and then to Ganymede. It bounced around all the territories. You might be wondering why we're not mentioning Pluto in any of this. Uh, 
with regards to the gentry. That is because during the Solar Union years, uh, the Solar Union set up a mining operation on Pluto where they effectively strip-mined it into a debris field over a period of hundreds of years. Now it's just some asteroids, kind yeah, of. <laughs> it's just an asteroid field out there at the edge of space. And when the, when the well dried up on Pluto, when Pluto was effectively bereft of all of its uh, elements... No longer useful. All of the minerals were gone from Pluto. They had used it up. They left behind the seven satellite colonies that they had left orbiting around the remains of Pluto. The, the, these colonies that had housed the workers and support staff who were running the mining operation. And they left them there to die. But the people of the Sharon Freeholds did not die. They formed their own faction. And while the Solar Union collapsed into two separate entities, the Sharon Freeholds uh, gained power and became their own like powerful entity outright. Not quite as big as the Jovian Lunar Commonwealth or the RSU, clearly, but enough that they can hold their own against those two larger factions. Right. Mm -hmm. At some point, the, the RSU decided they wanted their materials back. <laughs> and so did the, uh, the Jovians. So the Sharon Freeholds have been uh, tested in a sort of crucible against these two larger bodies who send like fleets out periodically to try to take back what they think is theirs. And they fail. Every time. And I mean, it, it also helps that the Sharon Freeholds are so far out on the edge of the territory. True. Yeah. So they, they've sort of been isolated, but in a way that benefits them more so than hurts them because that means they're far away from all of the horrible shit going on in both the RSU and the, the uh, JLC. And I think that about covers it for the setting as a whole. I think so. Yeah, I don't, you couldn't have possibly missed anything from that. That was... The whole shebang. Yeah. Um, well, the, f the four moons that are settled by... Well, that were taken over by the Jovians once they split off are Ganymede for Jupiter, Titan for uh, Saturn, Miranda for Uranus, and Triton for Neptune. Right. With all, all, all the you know, colonized planets seriously vary in their uh, ecology and uh, geography as well. Mm -hmm. And temperature, climate. The further you get away from the sun, the colder it gets. Yeah. That's just science, babes. <laughs> but now that we've explained the, the setting, I'd like to get into everybody's characters. Mm-hmm. The, the characters, the people living in this world. Who are the fools traipsing around this existence? Right. The poor saps. Di the dipshits. <laughs> <laughs> we have a lot of words for them. Yeah. Eventually one of these will stick, and I hope it's not dipshits, because I don't want to have to write that every week in the episode description. <laughs> yeah, just... Well, welcome <laughs> this back. This week we join the dipshits. Yeah, welcome back. It should just be the last. Let's see what the, oh the dipshits God. are up to this week. The Let's see what, the, what are the dipshits going to get into this week? Yeah. The, dips, the dipshits sounds like a 60s uh, British punk band. I refuse to let this stick. Let's talk about everybody's characters. Uh, Leon, you start. Tell me about yourself. Uh, my character is Scarlet. Besides the name, he is a hacker, an impoverished, stealthy tech technocrat. Mm -hmm. 
So he hacks good and he's stealthy. And these are all elements of the Uncharted World's character creation stuff? Yep, because it's based on his careers, technocrat and clandestine. And his, his uh, origin is impoverished. He came from a very, very poor area on Mars. Hmm. Yep. The way I would describe Mars is, I don't know if anyone out there is, has seen Iron-Blooded Orphans, but it's a very, very militarized, very hot. Arid desert type. Where you keep, like, basically the riffraff. I won't say slaves, because I don't want The working imagine. poor. The working poor. Like... The grunt. Scarlet's origin, having lived on Mars for majority of his life, he didn't have it easy. He either was forced to work or be useless and expendable. A red shirt, so to speak. Yeah, a red shirt. Basically, it was a. It was more of like, you're a liability. But he never really fit in as the grunt. He would just be the guy who could help them keep track of all the all the soldiers, all the outer information, making sure they got intel in and out hmm. at the tender age of 20. Hmm. Is he 20 currently? Uh, well, he's, yeah, he's 22 now, but okay. he's been doing that since, he's been doing that since he was really young. They, they start him out young. All right. Um, the way I would describe him is wiry, smug, and vulgar. So expect a lot of cursing. All right, so now we're gonna talk about his stats. And those five stats are metal, which are your M E T T L E, not like the the, the not M E T A L, yeah. <laughs> Although uh, that's metal. very metal. Metal is your courage, your calm, your discipline, and your precision. When the situation calls for reflexes, bravery, tactics, stealth, or accuracy, it is a test of one's metal. Uh, there's physique, which is strength, beauty, athleticism, and physical fitness. When success relies on acts of might, overcoming pain and fatigue, or pushing one's body to the limit, it is a test of one's physique. Next is influence, which is personality, presence, leadership, and political clout. When people need to be commanded, convinced, inspired, or cowed, it is a test of one's influence. Uh, there's expertise, which is education, cleverness, and creativity, and skill. When something needs to be examined, built, fixed, invented, concocted, or created, it's a test of one's expertise. And lastly, there is interface, which is uh, technology, programming, and logic. When systems need to be bypassed or hacked or reprogrammed, protected or shut down, that is a test of one's interface. And uh, Leon, what are Scarlet's uh, stats? How do those shake out? Well, the lowest stat is influence, which means I have no clout. <laughs> Cloutless. Cloutless. And uh, the highest are metal and interface. We got interface being the technocrat, metal just being manual labor and mental shit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And second highest is physique. Mm -hmm. And kind of the midpoint is expertise. Not good, not bad. Even non expertise. Even, yeah. average. Y average education. Yeah, which is weird because computers. But don't worry about it. it I kind of think of it as like wisdom versus intelligence. That's yeah, a good way to look like, at it. Way at he, it. He's kind of more self-taught than he is like academic type. Yeah, I would say the I would say the metal and the interface is the only reason he got out of Mars. <laughs> <laughs> and then what are your what's your advancement in this game? Uh, you choose from your career 
uh, sort of the way that when we in Dungeon World, when we chose uh, alignments and you had specific criteria to meet to gain XP, there is something for that based on your careers in Uncharted Worlds. Right. So I chose the advancement in Technocrat because I'm really sticking with this hacker gimmick. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> gimmick. <the> one- <laughs> gimmick. Harsh, harsh way to put it, but all right. Profession then. Hacker deal, yeah. Uh, I chose a, a system security is breached, so anytime I do what I'm supposed to be doing as an hacker, I get so valid. <laughs> anytime I do my job. Every time you can say, I'm in. Yeah, I'm going to say that a lot. And yeah. I, as the GM, now have a flag for what to do to Leon's character. Mm-hmm. Oh, I hate you. Put him in a lot of situations where he needs to hack stuff, so we'll, we'll, mm-hmm. we'll see how that <laughs> spins out. Yeah. Uh, something else you get to create on your own... Here is your workspace for your character, which is sort of your character's space on the ship you all inhabit. The mothership. Your, your like personal space, your place. Right. So the workspace I chose was, well, the characteristic was stealthy. And that's based on one of your, is that based on your background or your? Uh, it's, it's based, based on, on career. career. It's oh, based it's based on, on career. career. Okay, cool. So uh, instead of taking um, it from the technocrat, I took it from the clandestine. And that is why your space is stealthy? Yeah, because the space I put it in is in the cargo hold of the ship. Yeah, we, we kind of described it as like a, uh, a, a smuggler's hold. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's it's like big, panel big enough for you. Yeah, <laughs> just a panel in the cargo hold that slides away and there's a space for you to hang out in. Yeah, because I figure no one really bothers looking in the cargo hold. Not thoroughly. No. It's and just it's kind of like, there. yeah, the boxes are here. Yeah, the stuff that's supposed to be in the boxes is here. Yeah. We're fine, whatever. And, and like it's a fairly discreet space as well. It's not like huge. Yeah, it's not huge. It's just a place to keep all the computers and everything so I can do. Scarlet likes to hang out in a crawl space in the cargo hold. <laughs> yeah. Valid. Real hermit life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is hard to accomplish when you're on a ship with a bunch of people most of the time. He finds a way. Yeah, you gotta make your well, private yeah, you, space. Well, yeah, you dug into the ship itself and found <laughs> a, made a hole in the ship mm-hmm. for, your, for you. And Scarlet doesn't have a, like a last name or a real name. He just goes by Scarlet. You turn your code name into a mononym. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you've already sort of described uh, Scarlet, but uh, what are his, uh, his descriptors again? Uh, wiry, smug, and vulgar. Right. So Wiry's like lengthy. He's mm-hmm. not a built boy. <laughs> lanky. Somewhat of a, uh, lanky. a soy boy, you could say. Oh my God. <laughs> Get the Liam's fuck out. <laughs> the vulgar, Liam is canceled. The Volker starts now, you piece of shit. There it is. Yeah. Save that, save that punchy energy. Cancel me. <laughs> so really going to have to play out the smug and vulgar somehow. And you, you have some skills which uh, in the system come from your origin. Yes, sir. And careers. And from your careers, yes. So what, what are the skills that you chose? Uh, the skill I chose based on the origin for Im- impoverished is scrappy. So the description is life has beaten you down, but you never, ever give up. No matter how bad things get, you rarely back down, even when you really should. And because <laughs> of that skill, I gain a plus one to my metal, which put it at plus two. So you have two plus twos, because normally yeah. it would be plus two, plus one, plus one, zero, minus one. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So my metal would have been plus one, but now it's plus two. Right. So you're you're extra good at another thing. And what about your your career skills? Uh, my career skills are stealth, upload, and hijack. Okay. And what are the, what are that? What's that about? Stealth basically entails being able to 
sneak through many places that most people couldn't. So is that like, like physical stealth? Physical stealth. Right. And then upload and hijack is more along the lines of not really physical stealth, but more... Online stealth. Online technological stealth work. Right, right, right. Hacking. So either mm-hmm. hacking... So it's both just hacking. Mm-hmm. But in different ways. Yeah. And what, what ways do those differ? Hijack is like taking over certain machines or equipment like that. Not exactly mechs, but like certain things like... Or it's like subsystems. Subsystems. Mm-hmm. Right. And then upload is putting viruses and putting viruses. Okay, so one is getting in and one is just crashing. Yep. I dig it, I dig it. Yeah, upload says you can add, remove, or alter facts on the sector net. <laughs> <laughs> you can open the Wikipedia entry. <laughs> yeah, so powerful. And let's talk about your kit, your loadout, your assets. Everybody starts with uh, one class, uh, a class zero attire, two class one assets, and one class two asset. Well, my base asset in terms of attire is a blue torn up jacket, but not just like a regular jacket. It's like a bomber jacket. Mm-hmm. Um, if anyone's seen like the character that they're showing for Cyberpunk 2077, he has like a kind of a bomber jacket, but it's got that big cyber high collar. High collar. Mm-hmm. Looks kind of bulky. Mm-hmm. It's in that vein, but mm-hmm. it looks a little bit torn down. There's holes in it. It's got a few tears and scrapes because mm-hmm. I've had it for a while. Right. Since since the days on Mars. Since the days on Mars. Never given it up. Uh, my other assets are two weapons. One being my erosion gun, which is just a little pistol that when shot can cause a body to decay from the outside in. Mm-hmm. Acid gun. Acid gun. <laughs> you described it as an acid gun. Acid gun. And then I have the sniper rifle, which I have now effectively called the boom machine. Oh, okay. Can you... Because here uh, comes the boom. Clarify that for me. <laughs> so it's a sniper rifle, but not in the regular sense, because the two, I want to say, additions I put on it is a scope, but also a burst function. So when I shoot it, it's loud but effective in the sense that it can take out more than one enemy because the bullet scatters on the shot. Right. It's like a wide arc. It's a wide mm-hmm. arc. And, and the way that you, you create these items in Uncharted Worlds is you, you, you start with a base object, which is class zero. Mm-hmm. And every time you add a different tag to it, that is upping it in class. So a class one asset has one additional tag. And class two assets have two additional tags. And the the boom machine is your class two asset, correct? Mm-hmm. Yep. And what are its two tags? Burst and scope. That's right. Yeah. Scope mean, means it is specifically a far slash distant weapon, according right, yeah, to so the you, yeah right, technicalities. You start with like the base. You start the base would be like a class zero rifle, and then you add scope and burst. Mm-hmm. And I guess you get the boom machine out of that. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a good name for it. What are your other assets? Uh, a class one infiltration kit. Ooh. So it's just a tool to gain access to forbidden places like mechanical lockpicks, intrusion hardware, chloroform. Oh my God. <laughs> wow. That took a turn. Glass cutters, disguises, ropes, climbing tools. Everything else sounds simple and then you get to the chloroform. Yeah, the yeah. chloroform really pulls this in a direction. <laughs> 
we we don't use it the creepy way. We use the non-lethal knockout way. Just you just open up a bag, flip open all the stuff, just pull out the chloroform. <laughs> Good lord. I don't need this other stuff. I just needed this. And lastly, let's talk about your mech. <laughs> let's talk about the mech. Let's talk about mechs. The meat and potatoes. Let's talk about mechs. Let's talk about mechs. Tell me about your mech. Tell me about Scarlet's mech. Uh, should you describe how mechs are going to work first? Or? Right. So again, in sim- very similar to the way that most uh, assets work in Uncharted Worlds, you start with the base vehicle, which is a ground vehicle. In this case, I believe it's a ground vehicle... Walker. 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 Ground vehicle walker, mm-hmm. which is a, like a bipedal mech with arms. And then uh, we decided to go... I, I just gave these guys nearly full carte blanche and said these are asset... These are class four assets. These are our bonus assets because Michael's nice. I, I really wanted to make... Like, I wanted to make you guys, like... Special. Cool. You guys are, you're not just some run-of-the-mill mercenary company. We're you're the protagonists, the main, damn yeah, it. <laughs> you guys are the protags. You got to have a slightly better mech, and then I got to throw something horrible at it later that makes you upset. But until then, uh, for right now, you guys are have a class four walkers. So that means we get four tags to it. But we decided that one of the tags that we have to have is armed, which means they have a weapon. Because it would be bizarre if it didn't have any kind of weapon. Mm-hmm. It might be problematic in the future. Yeah. Most definitely will be. So what? Uh, what's your mech's name, Leon? What's Scar- Scarlet's mech's name? I'd like to point out, first of all, I asked Michael before we started this how Weeb I was allowed to go. Look, man. He should have told me a limit. There is no Jesus limit. We, this is... This is as self-indulgent as we want to be. We have to be on our own bullshit, and I'm here to let you be in your space, on your bullshit, standing in your truth, Leon. <laughs> I know, but I'm just letting you know. The limit does you. not exist. There say, is no cap. I know, but I'm just letting the people know, this is on you. That's Full fair. Full weeb. So my next name is Katsu Sakura. Which means? <laughs> That's Armenian for football. <laughs> oh god it translates to victory blossom hmm and tell me more about this beautiful beautiful mech well the way i described it it's it's black and pink i'm still trying to figure out what it's what else to put on it but i know the base colors are black and pink Uh uh-huh and the weapon it's armed with is what I call the plasma piercer. Mm-hmm. It's a heavy weapon. It shoots um, out plasma, but it's also effective when it shoots out. It pierces through any mech armor. Right. So, so what are the tags on the weapon? Plasma and penetrating. Cool. And what are the tags on the mech itself? It's a very agile mech, quick, maneuverable, able to perform stunts. It would have got out of bind real quickly when it's getting fired upon a lot. It's it's probably actually like considering the, your average anchor is pretty bulky. It's probably a little more like aerodynamic mm-hmm. in like design. Fair. Uh, it has sensors on it. the The vehicle gathers various types of information. Right. So, the way I would describe it is that if it needs to get like an idea of weaknesses for a mech, it can. Mm-hmm. Or systems that you can interact with? Yeah. Cool, cool. And stealthy. It's silent, difficult to pick up on sensors, 
uh, and occupants invisible to sensors. Oh, sweet. Yep. Something in that black paint. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And another aspect I forgot to mention about Scarlet that I'm, this is the most exciting thing I really love about him. Oh, God. Yep. You know where this is going. Uh, I really don't. Do I? Please do tell. His love of uh, J-Funk. Oh, right. Oh, yeah. this, this odd character. Oh, bit. fuck yeah. <laughs> this character bit. A little Cassiopeia. Yeah, he, he's very <laughs> fond of uh, J-Funk. Mm-hmm. And every Future time funk. he's in, yeah, every time he's in his mech, he's always listening to it, even when he's in the middle of a fight. Dude, I have this album I gotta send you for, for this purpose, just to get yeah. in the headspace. Yeah, mm-hmm. sit, sit in my way. I already got a playlist of uh, J-Funk jams. Fuck yeah. So that's the that's a character aspect I'm excited about. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I'm I'm glad I'm glad you brought this to the table. Blasted a, Maria Takeuchi <laughs> mid fight. Yeah, you know uh, I'm expecting Michael to ask me at least one a few times what's playing in the mech. I'm you know like, every uh-huh. instead of people shouting it's a Gundam in this universe they just shout it's plastic love. <laughs> <laughs> He's just playing games. <laughs> I know. You just hear in the faint distance. I know it's best in love. <laughs> All right, let's let's run this down now. I think we, we've we've described Scarlet mm-hmm. pretty well, I believe. Yep, I would say so. So, uh, Max, let's talk about BD. Let's. Um, so, my character is not human, surprising no one. Uh, <laughs> so there never is. Original designation was BD4571, um, but they go by BD, like B-E-T-E, like Beetlejuice, the star, not the movie starring or the Michael movie. Keaton. Could be the movie. <laughs> you don't know. Um, well, I guess yeah, you do know. But that's not that's not how it's spelled. It's you know. spelled on his grave like that, actually, but nothing else. Oh, yeah, right, yeah. Um, so uh, they are a... Uh, we kind of called him like a crash test dummy, but a little more sophisticated. Um, the the Jovian military has a kind of hidden uh, military base on the moon Miranda. Um, so they 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 wanted to keep their like technological advances pretty secret. So they 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 use this base to test out new anchors, further like advancing them as much as possible. But before they hand them over to the humans which are squishy and die easily. Uh, they they would they used to use androids that were human shaped in order to collect the information of how piloting these mechs would affect the human beings and whether the advancements are going to work or not. They are eventually made obsolete when they just were able to have AI that could do the same thing when they further kind of advanced their technological abilities. But BD was a kind of cast aside uh, test dummy that one of the scientists working for this Jovian military kind of took on as a side project uh, when they discovered that Beatty was sentient because that's crazy shit, right? They still don't know why Beatty is sentient uh, as opposed to the all the other random dummies, but, you know, it'd be like that. Beatty, being a robot, likes humans, but thinks a lot of human concepts and, you know, societal expectations are ridiculous and pointless and has no problem saying as such to people, so they're kind of blunt. Um, the descriptive words I used for them are stoic, 
tall and meditative. They're always kind of taking in information because they're, you know, going to a lot of new places and figuring out uh, new stuff about human culture that they didn't get to see when they were on this, stuck on this tiny military base. Um, so their, their origin, of course, uh, I put as regimented because they were only on a military base. They weren't allowed to go anywhere else. Otherwise, the jig would be up. Right. Um, so they, I mean... They they have a kind of strict lifestyle beforehand. Um, and the careers I chose were Starfarer and Technocrat. Um, I think being a robot gives them the distinct advantage to working with technology. So I thought that, you know, Technocrat made the most sense for them because they can like one-to-one interface with any technological stuff and there doesn't have to be a kind of a through line. Mm-hmm. Um, and Starfarer, because... You know, they were built to be a pilot, yes, for mechs, for kind of a smaller thing, but they also have the capability, thanks to the scientist that was kind of helping them, they now have the ability to kind of work as a navigator on a larger scale for the entire kind of uh, territory. Right, BD has a a role within the ship itself. They Mm -hmm. are the navigator of the the vessel you all inhabit, Mm -hmm. Um, as well as a pilot of one of the mechs. Yes, um, doesn't love being a mech pilot, but is it's kind of one of those things like I'm skilled in this, so I might as well do it mm-hmm, if I can mm-hmm. be of use to people. Um, they're not, you know, at all violent by nature because they've kind of been beat around having been kind of a test dummy for a long time, but mm-hmm. they'll, you know, they'll do what they have to. They're very logical being a robot, not very, they, they have the ability to kind of plan out their movements ahead of time. Um, so the, the way I distributed my skills under the Starfarer career, I picked the, the skills navigation and weightless. So navigation, uh, means when you plan a long voyage. So when I'm being the navigator, I can either, um, have the voyage be fast. So we know a shortcut safe. We choose one of the factions to avoid pleasant. We get plus two to cramped quarters or profitable. So if we have passengers, uh, who are asking for a passage, if we deliver them successfully, we get money. Um, and weightless uh, refers to uh, getting to ignore the clumsy trait. So if I was wearing heavy armor or some sort of thing. And it also means I have no movement restrictions when it comes to microgravity, low gravity, free fall, climbing, and jump jets. Because, you know, they were literally built to be able to fly around in a mech and have that kind of movement ability and also you know can move around in space well because doesn't need to breathe from technocrat i got the skill network which means uh i can simultaneously track the location and health of a dozen willing subjects through a console or hud and i can remotely get involved which is one of the kind of abilities you roll for or issue commands which is also one and then through the regimented background uh i picked tactics so uh, when you open fire one of the abilities or launch assault another ability, um, you choose one or more consequences on a partial success, which is a seven to nine roll, right. uh, and Michael wouldn't. So I get to pick the consequences if I only just pass. And we'll, we'll touch more on like the all the different moves in this system next episode. Yeah, um, and Michael touched on it, but their their workspace is uh, navigation. So they they kind of have a navigation console in the bridge of the the mothership um under my kind of navigation skill i picked like the career to advance would be starfarer for them because i think that's 
that's where they'd like to feel the most helpful rather than fighting people. So I think because they're very, you know, curious, wanting to learn about the world, um, well, the galaxy that they live in, uh, I said they mark XP when a new culture is experienced. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my stats, I kind of, they're actually kind of similar to Scarlet, actually. So I have a, I have a plus one in metal because I don't have a fun <laughs> ability that gives me more metal. Because, um, I mean, they were, they're, you know, courageous enough to do what they do, but they're not, that's not their main, you know, attribute, I would say. Um, I put their plus two into interface because I think they're very logical and also they have that kind of natural ability to interface with uh, technology since they're a robot. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. I I think expertise, expertise was my other plus one because... um, I think, you know, they, they absorb a lot of information and really hold it in well. And, and being, their their learning ability is very advanced as a robot. So I think that in kind of fits in the education uh, spot. Their physique, I put a zero. I don't think they necessarily needed the ability to be strong. They're like, I would say they're hardy, kind of like a constitution-wise. Yeah, they're, but they're not really strong. They it was more about they needed dexterity than strength as their right. their job. And for influence, I put a negative one. Most people don't... Robots aren't typically sentient, so most people aren't going to listen to what they think is just another, you know, worker robot. They're, right, right. And also, they're, they're, they're very kind of blunt and straightforward a lot of times, so... You know, they don't tiptoe around the truth or lie to make people feel well. So mm-hmm. that, that that also kind of adds to that personality aspect of things of like, they probably rub some people the wrong way. How would you describe BD? What are their descriptors? Oh, uh, stoic, tall, and meditative were the three. So Ooh. I think they, they're kind of tall because they wanted them to be on the upper end of the spectrum of like of what size human can fit inside mechs. Um, right, right, okay. I think they, they're, I said stoic and meditative because I think they're, a lot of their thought is internalized. I don't think they, they, everything they say is very purposeful. I don't think they're much of a chatterbox at all. They're, mm-hmm. if they're, if they have something to say, they'll say it. But otherwise, uh, there's a lot of kind of internal processing and kind of calculating. Yeah. And also just like thinking and wondering and tr- kind of trying to figure things out in this world because I think, Despite, you know, wanting to learn, I think there is a little bit of pride there where they don't always want to ask questions. So they'll kind of, kind of try and figure things out on their own, even if it is some bizarre human thing that is hard to make sense of unless you've been kind of raised in that kind of society. And like, what was your sort of your, your like aesthetic visual for BD? In your, like when you, I know you put up a blog. Yeah. I have a blog, shout out. It's called uh, starshinevoyager.tumblr.com. Oh my God. Because I, I can't be stopped. I, I think they, because they they don't have like a mouth, they, they, they have two kind of ocular spots that are spaced the same way human eyes would be because they wanted to see where human blind spots would be in the mech. Mm-hmm. Um, but they don't like have a mouth. There was not really any need for them to have a, have to be able to speak. They actually only had a voice box put in by the scientist that was helping them because I there see. was no purpose for a crash test dummy to even have a um, a voice box. Um, mm-hmm. So their face is like 
I imagine it's kind of smoothed out and blank, except for the two eyes. Um, I like to think that they're white because I think that's really sleek, like the chrome white almost um, with the like the silver metal. Of robots. Yeah, basically. Because Jovians are self-absorbed and they want even their robots to is look it pretty. White or is it more of a rose gold? I think white. I think, you know, they, they, the rose gold is reserved for the robots that they see more often, like their servant bots. Um, but I, 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 they're tall, definitely. They're not necessarily bulky, but they're, they're sturdy enough. And I would say kind of almost lanky in a sense. They wanted to have, you know, as much of a range of motion as they could. And, and in their description, I can kind of dip into my assets because since they're a robot, I decided some of the assets should be connected to them. They're like Right, like armor a part of their or, chassis. Yeah. Th- stuff that could still be damaged or removed, with, but they're still able to function, but right. also, you know, a part of them. So <laughs> I gave them, for their melee weapon, I gave them a stun hand. So, like, essentially their fingers would fold over and it would just be like a zappy hand. And it has the tags uh, concealed and uh, stun, of course. So it's non-lethal, and it'll like shock or stun or knock out uh, an enemy. And it's mm-hmm. inconspicuous. It's easily hidden and doesn't show up on scanners. I think they they wear. Uh, we talked about this way early on, but Michael and I like the aesthetic of like a robot, but wearing like a pilot jumpsuit. So they probably have like a jumpsuit and a little like uh, a s- scarf used for like covering the face, kind of even though it's just mostly decorative. I think the jumpsuit was probably one that the scientists nabbed for them when they were like, okay, you got to go now so that they don't catch you and destroy you. So underneath the jumpsuit, they have essentially a chest plate that gives them a plus two to their armor. That's just kind of simple, smooth, straight to business. I don't think they're super angular, but kind of in between being very, very angular and very, very rounded because there is a certain aesthetic aspect to them but they're mostly so it's a a mix of natural shapes and hard angles yeah okay they also have an engineering kit which is tools to repair and dismantle machinery so hammers drills cutters wrenches grips welders cables diagnostic tools cage lamps spare parts etc so they have Mm -hmm. you know the ability to repair their own mech and you know make repairs to themselves and Speaking of their mech. Um, oh, yeah, let's let's get into this. Yeah, I haven't really thought all that much about the visual of it. I think it would be very practical because mm-hmm. that also is a thing. I think BD would be like, whatever, it's going to get messed up anyway in battle. Why even bother making it look cool? So it's probably like the fresh out of the box type. Like maybe something stock, but also like with a jumble of different parts. Yeah, kind of modified to whatever their needs are. Um, like a beater anchor. The car door is a different color from the... <laughs> yeah, basically. Like, they don't that, really that care. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit mismatched parts. A little Frankensteinian. Um, yeah. The tags for my anchor are agile. Um, so, again, it can move around well. It has boosters, so it has jump jets, and it has the ability to, like, fly and coast a little bit. It has a tool, so one of the one of the hands is, a like, a big claw for gripping that has a really strong grip strength. And uh, it is, of course, armed. Um, my weapon is an auto cannon, so it is. It, it maintains a sustained fire, but it's also concussive. It has the ability to like. It's loud and it knocks enemies back. Is it like loud and bright? So yeah. it's Like not necessarily. It's like a we call violent it like a fireworks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like like a violent fireworks shotgun. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, like the superheated like metal flechettes mm-hmm. that are just very bright. And- yeah, it's a it's a big one. Um, or maybe like like thermite, even. Sure. Yeah. Um, and my anchor's name is uh, Delta Proxima, which is a word I found cool, and the the main character Bioshock Two because <laughs> I'm like that, and y'all know it. <laughs> Like I told Leon, you got to stand in your truth. Yeah. Wherever that pops up in your character creation. Mm-hmm. And I think BD is usually, if you ask BD something, they're they're going to be very straightforward and give you the information, but they're rather protective of the scientists that help them. And they- Do well, you have a name for the yes, scientists? Yes, but they what don't is their name? tell anybody because they want to protect their identity because they, you know, broke the rules having- helped BD escape for... Max, is this going to be another Orion situation? No, I mean, no. I could... I, I mean, we can either do it the I only tell Michael <laughs> way or I could tell y'all, but, like, in character, none of y'all's characters would know this scientist's name because mm. oh, BD really? keeps it, like, zipped. I think... That's good, though, because I'm almost assuredly going to bring it up I, if you don't I think they me, literally, so. like... You're, you're giving the hacker information. Well, no, this is all, this is all player info. This isn't yeah. character info. I think they reprogram themselves to have, like, a end function of, like, if they accidentally start to say it, it literally force replaces itself with the scientist. So it's like, if insert name here then the scientist because... It's the la le lu le lo. They, they're, like absolutely protect this with their existence kind of thing because they owe a lot to this person and also they care about them a lot um so they don't want to put them in danger oh yeah uh behind the scenes thing they were super in love with the scientist but it'd be like that gotta love space tragedy oh yeah i'll just tell y'all uh the the doctor's name is dr morgan zade they are non-binary so they them pronouns very uh they kind of their personality kind of in- inspired a little bit of Beatty's personality, but they also Beatty will cert- sometimes do things that specifically that uh, Doctor Zaid said they wouldn't do, just to like make sure that they have this kind of free will that they kind of uh, you know cling to, because you know they don't want to just be a copy of someone else's personality, because their their existence and their sentience is very important to them. And uh, if you heard me typing. No, you didn't. <laughs> yeah, that, that that's called Michael is going to continue to use the NPCs I create against me. <laughs> that's my yeah, job. That's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's famous for that shit. Mm-hmm. And is, is that BD in a nutshell? Yeah, that's basically it. Yeah. All right, Liam. Yes. Tell me about Otto. So, okay. My character, Otto von Furstenberg. Oh, he, is a, <laughs> he is a, uh, a member of the British like side of the gentry but with like uh german ancestry formerly formerly british i suppose yeah yeah i guess yeah whatever that equivalent would be and nationality becomes kind of a gray area when you get to a galactic scale i guess i'm just using it as like a barometer for the accent for people to right but you are you are you are you are gentry i am gentry you are slumming it with a mercenary outfit for some reason well okay so let's get one thing straight about the gentry right is that they're a bunch of dickheads um, right. And, okay. And and Otto never liked them. Never really fit in. Was never a big fan of any of them. And so he, the eccentric guy he is, he went off and in search of new life and basically exploring and collecting samples and sort of seeking out the universe. Um, very much looking for the home he doesn't feel like he has. Hmm. So is it kind of like 
Otto as a kid would like he would like read stories and he'd be like, I want it to be like that and not like how it is. Yeah, basically. I love that. That's great. Hell yeah. Yeah. My careers I picked were he's an academic, mm-hmm. like by as he was raised, he was obviously raised in fine schooling with a you know approximate knowledge of many things. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was somewhat aloof as a descriptor. And okay, but his actual like chosen career that he does now, like I said before, was explorer. And so uh, his description there is a weathered. So he's very, he's older. So he's like 50 ish, 51, let's say. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And uh, now he basically just goes to the uninhabited places to try to find new places. So therefore, a lot of the places he finds himself in are very barren and rugged and, uh, you know, hostile environments. But that also means that there's no interference. So that's good. And, you know, to get, to get there without using your uh, family's money, you might have to take on some odd jobs with some disreputable folks. Oh, yeah. And I figured I left, I skipped home like a long time ago. Maybe like. Yeah. You're like the oldest person in the party, I think. You're probably the oldest person on the ship, even. Yeah. I would think so. Or near it. Because you're like in your 50s, right? Yeah. 51. So I guess we can say that. I think it's fair to say that he used like the the largesse of his family to his benefit and then just saw that it wasn't that it just wasn't morally fulfilling and they're bad people and he wanted nothing to do with them anymore so now he sort of doesn't really feel disconnected from them or he feels disconnected from them but there's still somewhat of a yawning void uh inside him his skills on the academic side are with his education he knows a lot about different biology and and ecology and and whatnot geography and uh, his skills on the explorer side are reconnaissance, so very good at identifying environments, uh, finding where certain things will be, assessing danger, whatnot. Kind of a good scout. Yeah, all of these, uh, you know, honed with years and years of field practice. And so, like I said, uh, we're talking about his origins, or you, y'all were talking about your origins. So his origins are obviously privileged, being from a very noble family. And uh, his description there would be groomed, like he still takes care of himself to the degree that he can, like still values... I don't know, properness. It's sort of one of those things that was just beat into him and it'll never quite go away. Right. And another part of that is like the, 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 with the gentry, with the money the gentry has, like they can afford to sort of elongate their lifespans. So 50 is like the new 30 if you're a gentry. Right. Um, but he's still, I guess maybe then, yeah, let's still say 50 because he's a little. But like the thing is you still get all that life experience. You right. just you live you live longer and you don't look like a like a 50-year-old in the year 2019. Yeah. Right. He's he's still going to sound a little leathered though. A little little old. Yeah, of course. Um but yeah, so and then another one of his an element of your wisdom comes through in your voice. Yeah. We're basically thinking like somewhat David Attenborough in space with the voice here. I I will reveal it next next episode. Um but his skills with regards to his upbringing and grooming is very much his decorum. He treats people well. He believes like he's a polite person. Um, sort of, if you watch last season, very much the opposite of DeGrasse. Um, sort of unfailingly polite in a way that he never... He's not a very self-assertive person other than when he left. But now he just kind of makes a living and bounces around. Does does Otto kind of fit into like the whole concept of like noblesse oblige? What do you mean by what do you mean by that? Uh, well, noblesse oblige is sort of like this: uh, the people in power have a responsibility to uh, act with generosity and nobility toward the less privileged. Yeah, he uh, he would believe that that is their responsibility, and he noticed that they don't do that, and so that was part of the ideological break. Okay, interesting. He found it in- unconscionable that he has these things and other people don't. Hmm. 
So he was just like, well, I can't change it, so I'm just going to leave. Um, and with regards to his, uh, you know, his stats or whatever, very bad on technology. Like, not like a that, negative one? <laughs> ne- okay, yeah. Do you want me to actually say the numbers? Okay, so yeah, negative. Yeah, run it down for me. So negative one on interface. Not very bad. Like still can. No, the worst you could possibly be. <laughs> no, but like, okay, so I mean like. Obviously, given that this is a technologically advanced world, he's not like your grandma that can't work her iPhone. Like, he still knows his way around certain things. Yeah. Like, but only with regards to his ship and his, like, biological stuff. He's not going to... You can work a mech. You cannot hack a computer. Yeah. He's not going to hack. No. He's the opposite of Scarlet. He's not going to hack into anything. Right. Put him in front of a computer and he has no fucking idea what to do except for go on Facebook and... Like, full honesty, he's, he's actually <laughs> the exact opposite of Scarlet, really, if you think about it. Yeah. Right. Oh, that's going to yeah, be yeah. fun. So physique, uh, zero. Sort of not, you know, a little portly, but also has been, so not like super big or whatever because he's been slumming it for a while, but still kind of not really in great shape. Also a little older too. So, you know, slowing down a little bit. Back mm. hurts. I, even though, even he, though he's, he can get the job even though done, he's 30 but... in this world, like, he's, you know, still gets back pains and like some slightly geriatric things. Um, I, l- let me tell you, as a 26 year old man, that stuff does start kicking in around. Dude, I've had a back, I've had back pain since age Mine 15. I swear to God, I have, I have like yeah, serious, same. I have serious hereditary like back issues. How many, how many times have you been to the chiropractor? I go like once a week. Yeah, valid. Okay, so yeah, my metal is plus one. Good, uh, sort of strong character, I think, and and decent constitution, given that he's doing a lot of this stuff on his own until he meets the crew, obviously. Then influence is a plus one. He knows what he's talking about a lot of the time. You know, when he's talking about the stuff that he knows about, he can convince right. people that he knows what he's talking about. If that, I mean, I know that sounds kind of redundant, but he uh, is well-versed within his particular field, and so people tend to listen to him that way. So, so it's not just that he knows how to talk pretty. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and adding on to that, uh, his expertise is plus two. So he, like, really knows his shit oh, with yeah. regards to, like... Biology. Even being kind of ex-gentry, he still is considered kind of a class above the rest by other gentry. So he has a little bit more sway in that direction because, like, the family name, they hear that and they go, oh, yeah. okay, you're worth yeah, I don't even to. know if other gentry would consider you, like, ex-gentry unless they knew your family directly. Yeah, yeah. he, um, it's one of those things where they wouldn't, but then they kind of know that he can't really shake the fact that he talks well and talks, you know, kind of posh and dress, you know, takes care of himself. And you're from, from Earth. Earth yeah. You're from the center of the RSU, mm-hmm. so, like... So in many ways, like, the ultimate epitome of, you know, hypercapitalism, right. wealth, inequality, yeah. whatnot. A gentry family from like like a member of a gentry family from like the JLC wouldn't know that you stopped being a member of your family. Right. They would yeah. probably be like, Why are you all the way out here? Because part yeah. of this thing yeah, is they'd all be these, a little confused. Because they're like, Well, all the wealth and riches are back there. Like, why are you all the way out here? And he said, Well, I don't want to be there. So it's like, you know, when they would like send explorers out to Africa and it was these rich people who it's just exactly kind of what wanted I was going to for. see what it's yeah, like. No, totally. Like the people that went on the Northwest Passage. Yeah, like hundred percent. People assume that he's just like kind of rich people. Uh, touristing, adventure tourism, yeah, freelance. And I think world. I think yeah. in his early days he probably did go on a couple of those trips funded by his family, and then just found that there was more for him out there. So he so he went and just kind of cut ties. So since he's on the explorer side, the advancement is that an alien wilderness is traversed. So okay. he finds a new place that has something new for him, right? Uh, even weirder um, than is what than what has gone before. I I almost picked like an old place as rediscovered, but I wanted to be something new. Because I feel like he would keep a log of everything that he 
Um, and since he's foraging th- through a lot of new stuff, he's an explorer. He's not really going to find old places per se. He's going to find new places. I figured mm-hmm. since he's discovered, since he's sort of an explorer and is going to new places, it would make more sense that he finds something new mm-hmm. that changes his view of things or, you know, challenges him or, you know, something weird happens with that regard. Even further than it's already been changed. Yeah, exactly. He's, I feel like he's also a lot wiser now because he's just experienced a hell of a lot. Um, most of which is by himself mm-hmm. as well. So there's a degree that you can only grow, you know, by yourself. You sometimes need other people to grow like right. as well. Um, but in terms of his field, he's like very knowledgeable because he's been all around and he, you know, knows what he's doing. So he can trade information about certain stuff and tip people off to various minerals and whatnot that are in certain places once he has the stuff that he needs. So he can cut deals with people. He's like decently right. smart in that way. Um, now let's talk about your assets. Okay. So my, uh, Melee weapon is a gentry rapier because he, I assume, would have taken some sort of like fencing classes or whatnot. And so he's very comfortable with like a melee weapon. And it's like his only family heirloom. Yeah, that's true. That's true. You're right. So sort of think how, you know, it's like his family sword. And so he was either, let's say he was given to it as a gift and he was reject, you know, sort of ashamed that he still has it, but also it provides him a link to where he came from and also it has helped him out of a bind many a time so he still keeps it around right it's just good to have a defense weapon when you're traveling on your right. own a lot especially and of course with like yeah. the the whole th- with the whole regression of aesthetics with the gentry of course they would go with a rapier but it, it's the future so it's got like a monofilament style sort of edge yeah and it's very it. lightweight and it probably goes vroom, 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 like it wishes a little bit right and then he also carried retro futurism to the extreme oh yeah totally like oh, sci-fi yeah. excalibur basically um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah. And then he also carries a medical kit cause he's by himself a lot. So he needs to be able to, to patch himself up. He has no one else to rely on for that. So he's pretty good with field work. He's not, you know, a genius or anything, but he's been able to treat himself. And also I'd imagine that a, the way he was raised with the diet and medical treatment he got, he's pretty durable too. And also just the general medical advancements that the story would be in right. because it's so much later. And then with regards to the suit, this is my attire. It's the Eva suit, uh, which which yeah. he always has on himself, which is a uh, class two, so it's very it's very tough. So he uses that to walk around planets. It's you know good for the purposes of withstanding harsh climates and and whatnot. And this is your your class two asset. Yeah, my class two tough asset. Uh, and then he also has an extra jumpsuit, which is class zero. One he's just inside, something to wear. And and just just for for the mechanical stuff for for the the Eva suit, what are its tags that you added? So you you took like the standard jumpsuit and you added two tags to it, and those tags were tough and, tough and sealed. sealed. Yeah. Tough and I forgot sealed. to write sealed. Yeah, you're right. Then with regards to the mech, the mech is called Bruno, which is named after his old family cat, the one family member he actually. Aww. I didn't realize it, that was the <laughs> yeah, going at it. I think we, I talked about it briefly, but we yeah. were talking about other stuff at the time. So, um, I think yeah, so. Uh, actually, I, th- I believe Max, it, it could be a family dog. And I was like, no, I like the idea of him loving his cat. So, yeah, um, yeah, it's named after his family cat. And it was the only family member he like really liked, you know, picture this kind of lonely kid that would always hang out with his cat <laughs> a lot while everyone else was, you know, talking about, uh, you know, mm-hmm. the destitute people on their front steps, whatnot. So the mech, Bruno, it is, uh, the, the p- things I picked were controlled, rugged, sensors and armed i don't have the exact descriptors for those in and front of me maybe you could read those out michael yeah i'll find them for you well sensors is also uh i think something that leon picked so i think it's just gives you the ability to tell where you know 
targets or other objects would be. Yeah, that's pretty much all it does. Controlled is uh, you can remote control the mech from like outside the mech, which is very useful for him because, uh, you know, if he's exploring a place and gets into a jam, you know, wants to go down a cavern or something, can get the mech down there, hop back in, get back out. And then rugged, like his Eva suit, can withstand very harsh climates. Because he wants this stuff. Right, protect from elements yeah. uh, and environmental damage. Easy to, and it also makes it easy to repair. That's true, yeah. And he, and since he's not that much of a techie or like a engineering, right. you know, he yeah. wants it to be very easy to, to, to work. And this ideally would augment his um, exploring. Um, and also I would imagine, this is just a bit of headcanon now, but I would imagine he donates a lot of these things to museums all across the galaxy uh, for like public, mm. public use and... Liam, it doesn't have to be headcanon. Well, that's it can true. Be I, well, I guess, I, guess I, I mean, it's I know. It's your I character. Head, I know I said headcanon, but it's I just, it was something that I was just coming up with now. Like I hadn't thought about before. So, no, yeah. I like yeah, it. So, he values public education and, and believes that more people should have access to it and should be fascinated by all the stuff that's around them. And then, obviously, it's armed because all of our mechs are armed. And let's talk about your heavy weapon. Yeah. So, it has the power to breach, aka, like, uh, hit damage big exteriors of spaceships and whatnot but the the thing about it it doesn't fire bullets it fires like lightning bolts so shock it's the other right it's it's a lightning yeah it's like a big lightning cannon and and it dismantles uh electronics so what's really good about that is if he's looking for a non-violent solution he's not trying to blow up something he's just trying to shut it down and it's obviously violent because it's a gun but the thing can also damage starships and reinforce structures but if it's a it's a somewhat effective way to shut it down without like total hellfire and brimstone although it does make a hell of a sound and it will be very loud yeah uh, those those are the same thing I and know, i imagine it just tears up oh, the yeah, atmosphere like around it's very intense it's not it doesn't exactly scream like peacemaker when you fire it but it's a good it, it, it shoots lightning powerful enough to breach yeah but it's, buildings. but it's good it's it's a good way to to shut down ships and dismantle quite literal shock and all yeah shock and all exactly yeah i think that's all i have on my sheet right here I don't have uh, yeah. and your your workspace as well. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. A rugged, I believe I wrote for workspace for interns. Right, and it, it's sort of your your like personal collection. Your it's a lab. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He has sort of his like eccentric, weird professor section of the ship where it sort of has <laughs> you know an ice a place a for, study. Yeah, a study a place for freezing samples where he keeps his books and he keeps his also if he prefers practical stuff that he can read and and whatnot. He's still kind of old school that way. He kind of has like a uh, a grow room as it were <laughs> for. Uh, various samples and stuff to to do experiments with and he'll have uh freezing chambers and and whatnot to preserve bacteria and and viruses and everything uh like that he deems harmful that he wants to study so he basically just has his own makeshift lab and then on the yeah so on the academic side his workspace is research and then the explorer side his workspace is very rugged because he's out in in the thick of it a lot of time he is both, you know, uh, the doctor who is a shut-in and study stuff, and then the, the explorer who has to go out and collect the samples. He's kind of a one-man band, mm-hmm. at least up until this point. Hands-on right. science. Yeah, very practical <laughs> scientists. So that's Otto von Furstenberg. That is Otto von Furstenberg. Mm-hmm. And Bruno. Can you spell Furstenberg yeah, for me yeah. just so I can get it right? F-U-R-S-T-E-N-B-U-R-G. Okay, yeah. cool. Just to sort of wrap this in a nice little bow, uh, the way that Uncharted Worlds decides... There's no, there aren't your standard like RPG classes. There's no like fighter, rogue, ranger. Uh, your class is a combination of your origin and your careers, sort of uh, descriptors that sort of evoke a certain kind of person doing a certain kind of work. Uh, Otto's 
and it, it sort of boils down to like a very bungee style, uh, the proper noun noun. So he is the prodigal. Uh, the prodigal. Yeah, sort of a self-sufficient prodigal son that his family wants him back. They don't particularly dislike him. Um, or it's right. like it's one of those things where they don't like they don't bully him. They don't like force him out. But they also just are kind of like callous people and they don't really care about anyone. He's, so. he's kind of the black sheep, but yeah, he's, not enough he's, to that they would have exactly, like, disowned him. They just think he's a little weird, but it's not like he was like a troublemaker and they want him out. Like he was just like, no, fuck mm-hmm. you people. And, and he got at himself. Self-imposed exile. Yeah, he just couldn't. He couldn't really shake the the divide between like absolute politeness and then hoarding money from people and being like generally just uh, very selfish. So he he couldn't yeah. he couldn't reconcile those two things, and so he didn't he didn't want to participate in them. And what are what is Beatty's archetype? Um, the best, honestly, the best that we could come up with was the navigator. I think mm-hmm. uh, a lot of, you know, his worth is put into how useful he is, even though, I mean, I think he's relatively confident and he has a, he has a good self-worth, but I think he, he likes being important to people. And so, you know, being the navigator gives them a way to um, be important and helpful uh, without being violent because they, they don't really like being violent if they don't have to. Right. Uh, and I, they and Otto have that in common, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what is Scarlet's archetype? After going through all that, I say his archetype is just the hacker. Okay. I can't. Yeah. yeah based on everything, I would just say he's the hacker. Hmm. I'm almost picturing uh, Penny Parker from Spider Verse. Yeah. With both with Ooh. both the Japanese influence as well and the adept with computers. But older yeah, and more not, not a teenage girl and the <laughs> and the spider is not doesn't have like the soul of her father or whatever it was. Yeah. Yeah, older, more violent, a lot more cursing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> All right, and I think that lays the groundwork for Territory Nouveau.
I'm Michael, the GM. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at a real writer, or you can follow the show at Play by Podcast Do on it. Twitter. It slaps. <laughs> Best Twitter. Uh, you can. Follow our parent network at Abnormal Mapping. Please you can do. give them money at patreon.com forward slash Abnormal Mapping. You can listen to all the great shows on Abnormal Mapping, including The Amory Score, Repertory Screenings, uh, Seasons a Year of Movies, our sister show, yeah. Seasons a Year of Movies. <laughs> Woo! Uh, Liam, where can people find you? At Liam Higgins97 on Twitter. Right. Or on your Letterboxd oh, yeah. account. Oh, yeah. Which is just, it's just Liam Higgins on Letterboxd. Right. <laughs> it links to that from my Twitter. So you can. Social media of mm-hmm. choice. Yeah, that's true. I spend Twitter and there I spend more time on than anywhere that's valid. else. Uh, Max, where can we find you? At underscore not my division underscore. Uh, I, you know, it's mostly shit posting and also reblogging or <laughs> retweeting stuff from other members of the network. <laughs> right on. Leon? Uh, you can find me uh, at slapcatz, uh, cat with a K. I'm usually also shit posting, posting. Some you're mostly shit posting by changing your display name every five yeah, minutes. I'm keeping true. it. I'm like, who the fuck's retweeting that? It's like, oh, it's Leon. I'm keeping <laughs> it as Leon from now on, honestly, though. Mm. All right. But yeah, I miss Leon yeah, the professional. <laughs> I did I did like the, I like the, the Lean, lean King, King too. I thought that was <laughs> the Lean King was a, a great period of time for us. It was the, the, the golden age of Leon's mm-hmm. Twitter account. My name will always have Max in it. Don't worry. There will be a variation, but it'll always have Max. Mine's just always Liam. Yeah. His Twitter handles changed though. Yeah, heartbreaking. It did well because I needed. He sold for, out like a. Sold out like a. I didn't sell out. I needed. I needed for for uh, business card yeah, purposes. Yeah, I yeah. can't fucking hand someone that on a business card. You should. I think it's a power move if you well, do. That's still my. Yeah, you can. It's still my PSN name. So whatever. <laughs> um, keep calling Klingon. It's still my PSN. Find Liam on PSN. Yeah. If you still want to get, I don't have Wi-Fi right now. But if you add me, I'll. I might add. Play you. Rocket League with Liam. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, please do. Yeah, he needs. Good. He needs someone to play with him. I like to put uh, Julie Cruz on and play Rocket League. <laughs> I like to put Rush on that's and great. play Rocket League, but that's not <laughs> yeah, neither that's here nor there. Uh, so big thanks to Abnormal Mapping. Thank you, mm-hmm. uh, Jackson. Thank you, M. Thank you, everybody. Uh, thank you to Ariel Corrales for our show art. Yeah. Which will have changed by now, but will still have been made by her. Mm-hmm. Thank you to Cody O'Hea for our amazing theme. It slaps so hard. It is so it it slaps. Is, so it's so ridiculously hard. good for what it is. It's uh, it is unfair how good it's Cody amazing. is just making things. We we don't even deserve something that great, but and yet, <laughs> uh, bless. Uh, you can find him at Six Squared Circus on Twitter. Listen to his covers; they're all great, and it, all of his content is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Get in his content. Has he has he released our uh, out of tune country roads yet? <laughs> I don't know. If no, he not has, yet. I recently got a uh, a Facebook message from him where he he was taking a video of how he got a uh, band from Dark Souls remastered. Damn! Wow. For using like an unregistered hypercam. I just, I felt all like right. I needed to tell the story. <laughs> wow! Shout out to Cody. He can no longer play Dark Souls because he's been banned. Sucks to suck. And lastly, I'd like to thank all of you. Viewers like you. Well, no, I mostly meant everybody on the show. Oh, thanks, Aww. Michael. We want to thank you, too. I'm thanking everybody who wanted to come into this uh, podcasting adventure with me to do this thing. Thanks for letting us role play our, our robot fantasies. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Thank you for letting us relive our, all of our fantasies. It's great. 
Mm-hmm. I'm happy to be the the nexus for everyone's uh, anime dreams. And of course, thank you to the fans. I'll see you guys. And thanks. Bye. Bye. Adios. Cue music. <laughs> <laughs>